We are starting a new series today. Um, we just finished up last week with our Fixer Upper series, where we were following Nehemiah as he will, rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, last week we wrapped up with Kaylee George as she told us uh, what's going on at Urban Christian Academy, what they're doing to help rebuild the walls in one of the most underprivileged um, neighborhoods in Kansas City. If, uh, if you somehow missed last week's message, please, please, please go back and listen. Um, we had some issues with our camera last week, um, so the, the camera was some issues, but the audio is clean, so if you want to go on YouTube, you'll get the visual aids, the slides that Kaylee showed. If not, you can go to the website and just listen to it, but it's a super important message because uh, Open Table supports UCA. Um, we, uh, we hold the tension between a lot of topics here. Uh, honestly, I have some very strong and deeply held uh, theological beliefs, but I also understand that um, Christianity, we've been debating some things for about 2,000 years, and uh, most of the easy things we've agreed on a long time ago, and if there are some issues that we still have uh, contention over, some of the greatest minds that have ever existed have wrestled with these things and haven't been able to draw strong, like, solid conclusions, and so um, I don't like to pretend like I know everything because, uh, you know, if, if these were easy things to sort out, they would have been sorted out. Uh, so we hold the tension between a lot of different um, kind of theological uh, uh, camps. And, uh, and any pastor that tells you things are cut and dry and this is absolutely what you should believe is kind of ignoring how deep and complex the Christian story is. Um, so we try to passionately follow Jesus while we hold the tension um, between the ideas and thoughts and, and, uh, and things of Christianity. The downside of that approach is that when you run into some things, um, as you're trying to hold the tension, there can be uh, some disagreement on how to handle things. Um, some feel we should, we should approach things this way. Some feel we should approach things that way. And some feel we attack problems with this method, some that method. And when you're holding the tension in the middle, that can get complex, which is why we absolutely love kids and what Urban Christian Academy is doing because you really cannot go wrong pouring into kids. It's one of the reasons we support UCA monthly. It's one of the reasons we pour so much resources into what goes on in the basement is because there's very little tension there. We know that we can, we can pour into our kids and that's always going to be a good thing. Um, it's always going to be a valuable thing. If we want to truly impact this world, if we want to truly have an impact on, on our nation, on our, on our future, our kids are our best bet. And so, again, um, if you did not hear last week's message, go back and listen. It's crazy important. This week, um, we're kicking off a new series on prayer. Um, and I thought I'd open with one of my favorite um, stories about prayer. <laughs> I previewed this with a couple of my kids, and they begged me not to do the accent, but it just comes naturally with it, so bear with me. In a small Jewish village, a man walks into the butcher shop. He doesn't look at any of the meat. Instead, he just mopes around, sighing. Eventually, the butcher is forced to ask, Binyamin, what's wrong? Oi, hey! <laughs> You'll never believe it. My son went to Jerusalem and he came back a Christian. You're kidding me! No, I promise. The butcher slaps his hand against his head and says, Oi, hey! You're not going to believe it. My son went to Jerusalem and came back a Christian too. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's go talk to the rabbi. 
I bet he'd know. So later they go to temple. They find the rabbi and they tell him, Hey, Rabbi Solomon, you're not going to believe it. Our sons went to Jerusalem and came back Christians. The rabbi says, Hey, you're not going to believe it, but my son went to Jerusalem and he came back a Christian. Well, this is insanity. I know, I know. What do you do? So the rabbi says, in times of turmoil like this, you have to turn to God in prayer and ask his advice. So all three men gather together in prayer. And they say, Adonai, we have a conundrum. All of our sons have gone to Jerusalem and come back Christians. Suddenly a voice speaks and shakes the temple. And God replies, my children, you are pure and righteous for turning to me in wisdom. Before I answer, I must say something. The rabbi said, yes, we are honored to hear anything from you. God pauses for a moment and says, Oy vey, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> I spent the past several months emphasizing to us as a church how desperately we need to be praying right now. And so, as Esther and I were talking about what our next series should be and And what we should do when we finished up Fixer Upper, she pointed out um, just how much I've been calling people to pray. Um, And we talked about how when the coronavirus first hit, one of the very first things we did was went online and kind of rallied the church and called everybody to prayer. And uh, and Esther says to me, what if people don't, don't really know how to pray? Maybe you should teach them. And so this is when the kind of crippling insecurity began to creep up my back because I do not consider myself um, very good at prayer. Uh, I am definitely not a prayer warrior. I wish I was. Um, I love people who just have that way of praying where it feels like they have Jesus's like personal phone number. And you're like, man, I wish I could talk to God like that. I'm not one of those people. In fact, when we first opened, uh, first started open table, um, I was in a like a prayer funk. Um, this is super embarrassing to confess because I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, that prayer is part of the job description of a pastor. But um, I'm going to be real here, so don't judge me too much. But at that point in my life, I was not praying very often. I prayed for meals and things like that. And I'd go on streaks every once in a while. Um, and I had no trouble praying for people when they asked me to. Um, but left to my own devices in a normal week, I would not pray very much. Um, I studied my Bible all the time. I read theology. I love talking to people about Jesus. But if I'm being real, we were in a, a, a church at the time in a phase of my life where I was kind of drying up spiritually. And my prayer life is what took the biggest hit. I wasn't praying very much at all. Prayer does not just come naturally to me. Well, then we started Open Table Community Church. And I quickly figured out that if I didn't learn how to pray regularly, um, I was going to be in big trouble. The the kind of weight um, of in, in being a pastor, people sharing their stuff with you, um, if you don't have prayer to kind of help unload that, it can get really, really heavy. So I, I, I studied. I turned to the ancients. I, asked, uh, I read books, asked how they prayed. I, I uh, spent a lot of time in the Psalms because the Jewish rabbis used to believe that the Torah was an example of how God speaks to man and the Psalms or an example of how God wants man to speak back to him. And so, um, so I went to the Psalms. Like, how did these people talk to God? How did they talk to God? I read books, and, uh, and I practiced. And, uh, and I've grown more and more um, comfortable with prayer, and if I'm honest, utterly and completely dependent upon it. And yet, 
The idea of teaching someone else how to pray is really intimidating um, because I still feel like a novice. And yet the question remains, what if people don't know how to pray? And that is completely understandable condition because Jesus' disciples one day, Jews from birth, trained as every Jewish child was to pray. And yet today's text comes from them asking Jesus for a simple favor. It said, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So let me start by saying this. Um, if you are not comfortable with prayer, if you feel like this is, there's this part of Christianity that everybody talks about and everybody else seems to understand and be good at and you just don't really get it, or you just feel like something is just missing on this topic of prayer, please know that is utterly and completely okay to ask for help. Jesus' disciples did. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he didn't say, what, what do you mean? Are you even Jews? Like, how do you not know how to pray? How could you not know this? No, Jesus wasn't shocked or offended even a little bit by the question. In fact, what he says with no hesitation is, is Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And then he goes on to tell them how to pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer that, that has become, you know, this prayer that has both privately and corporately been prayed ever since. So here's what I thought we might do for the next few weeks. I, I simply do not know enough about prayer to, for me to teach you how to pray. If, we were to, if you were to walk up to me like Jesus' disciples did and say, Chris, teach us how to pray, I would probably pretend like I had something else going on and too busy and, and would ignore you and walk away because that, that's terrifying to imagine me teaching you how to pray. But a few weeks ago, I got completely overwhelmed with social media. It was shortly after the George Floyd um, George Floyd's death and, and the response was kind of reaching a fever pitch. And I was continually offending people on both sides. Um, there are some arguments where trying to stand in the middle and hold the tension just makes enemies of everybody. And so um, I found myself uh, offending and hurting people that I desperately loved. And every time I tried to speak or write anything, uh, it was blowing up in my face. And so I was praying about it and I I asked God, I said, uh, like, what should my voice be here? How do I even know how to act in this kind of environment? And I felt like God spoke to me very clearly in my heart, not in my ears. God usually speaks to our heart, which is about 2,000 times louder than when he speaks in our ears. And he said, you need to spend time with Jesus. It was that simple. Um, if you don't know how to act, find someone who's worthy to imitate and imitate them. Just do what they do. Well, it's hard to imitate, you know, Jesus if you don't spend time with him. So for me, when I felt God speaking to me, go spend time with Jesus. That means get back in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go spend time with Jesus. I need to hear Jesus preach. Watch Jesus spend time with kids. Marvel as Jesus answers people's complicated questions. Even step back scared when Jesus gets angry. And yes, listen in as Jesus prays. So I got off social media and I dove into the Gospels. So when Esther brought up the idea of teaching on prayer, it was the most natural thing in the world for me at that moment to um, kind of in my insecurity as someone who feels like a novice in prayer to stand there with the disciples and go, Lord, teach us to pray. So for four weeks, we're going to learn from the master. I imagine when the 
disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, it was motivated by Jesus' life. I mean, if someone's a mess, you don't generally go up to them and go, give me all your secrets of life. Like, usually when someone's a mess, you know, you love them, but you don't exactly ask them for advice. No one is currently coming up to me and asking me for, like, diet advice. It just... It's not happening. You know, I've, I've got some of those people in my life that I'll ask for financial advice and some that I'll just be like, you know, I love you. But, um, but at this point in Jesus' story, I don't think the disciples quite you know, saw him as the, the eternal son of God like they would later after the resurrection. At this point, um, I think they were still trying to figure out who this guy was, but there was something in his life compelling enough and, they, and, and it seems like they attached that to his prayer life. And they were like, man, I don't know what it is about you, but, but teach us to pray because I want to be like you. I, I want to follow your example. I want to pray like you do. So I've titled this series, Prayer, a Masterclass, off of the Masterclass series. Have anybody seen these advertisements? I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to get a subscription because I was going to show one um, because the commercials are amazing. Like the commercials are are compelling enough that, you know, if it cost 10 times as much, I'd probably still do it because the commercials are compelling. But I was afraid if I did one, it would trip the copyright thing again on YouTube and we'd get booted off our live stream. So I'm not going to show one of the commercials. I put a few links in the email. Go watch them. But what they do is they uh, they, they take these uh, um, these absolute experts in a field and they uh, and that person sits down and shares their trade secrets. And in the, in the commercial, they show clips of them. They put it to motivational music and they, they show these really cool clips of them teaching and, and doing things and, and uh, everything from business to shooting a basketball to music to gardening. There's one on gardening. There's tons of uh, actors that teach on screenplays and, and comedy. And, and so the, the, these absolute experts teach on their craft and process and trade secrets. And every single one ends the same way. Uh, the music builds up to a pitch and then it stops and they go, I'm such and such and this is my master class. They're super cool. So go watch the commercials. They're, they're amazing. And so what I imagined was Jesus sitting there and, and in one of these commercials going, I'm Jesus and this is my master class. And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. Um, and then... After that, we may actually extend it out and look at some other prayers in the scripture. But for four weeks, we're going to talk about the times Jesus prayed. Um, and just by way of an outline, the Gospels record eight of Jesus's prayers, only eight. Um, it talks, obviously, he prayed more than that. It talks about him going to places to pray and, and times when he prayed, but it only records eight of them. And some of them are recorded more than once. Several of them are recorded more than once, but there's really only eight prayers. Um, a few of them... Um, are super, super short. Many of them actually are super, super short. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look at those eight prayers and look at how Jesus prayed and see if maybe we can learn from the Master how we should pray. Um, next week, we're actually going to look at how to ask, seek, and knock. Um, we'll look at how to ask for stuff. Um, it's the kind of prayer we both, we, most of us think about when we think about prayer is asking God for things. And, uh, and that's definitely a part of it. And so we're going to look at kind of three different prayers that Jesus prayed. One where he prays for himself, one where he prays for someone else, and one where he prays for enemy, for an enemy. And so we're going to talk about how to pray and ask God for something, for ourselves, for others, and even for our enemies. 
These are very short prayers, but super powerful. We're going to dig into those next week. In week three, we'll discuss the kind of prayer that I think is most modeled in Scripture, uh, but it's oftentimes overlooked in practice, and that's what I call processing prayers. Um, a great deal of the book of Psalms is this way, where an entire psalm will go by, and the psalmist will kind of process what's going on in his life with God, and oftentimes doesn't even ask for anything. He just spends the whole time kind of telling God, sometimes just telling God what God has done. He's talking to God about the things that God has done for him. You did this, and you did this, and you did this. And they process life with God. Jesus has this very long processing prayer in John 17 where he spends more telling God what has already happened than asking for anything. Actually, when you read it, you find out he asks for very little. Most of it is just processing with God what has happened. So we'll break that down in week three. Then in week four, we're going to look at three distinct kinds of processing prayers. Um, we'll look at thanksgiving, um, lament, and then the, what I consider to be the highest form of prayer, all processing prayers. Each of these are incredibly important forms of prayer that happen between us and God. And there's very little um, asking involved in them. Most of the processing um, that happens is just uh, talking with God about our lives. And this type of prayer is incredibly overlooked, I think, in the Christian um, narrative today. So we'll spend four weeks on Jesus's prayers. And then we, uh, we may extend the series, as I said, to look at how some other people in the scripture prayed. So maybe not a master class, but still really good stuff. So let's start this week with uh, Jesus's answer when the disciples came to him and, uh, and asked, teach us to pray. How do we pray? And forgive me, but I changed the translation from what we usually use back to what I'm most used to from my childhood. But he says, after this manner, therefore, you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the model for prayer that Jesus gives us. Matthew and Luke each record it. And it served the church for 2,000 years. And now technically, um, this is not us listening in on Jesus as he prayed. But we are covering this in week one as basically an outline for how Jesus told us to pray. So let's look at that. First thing I want to point out is that Jesus kind of bookends this prayer with, with, with praise, with adoration, with worship. Jesus tells God how amazing and powerful God is. And I personally think that um, this is more for us than for God. I think especially when you're getting ready to ask God for something or you're getting ready to process what's going on in your life, it's really good to remember exactly who God is, exactly who we pray to. For thousands of years, Jews have opened all their prayer services with Baruch Adonai Adonai Elochenu Melech O Haolam. Blessed art thou, O Lord God, King of the whole universe. They start with worship. This says, tell God who he is before we ask him for anything. And in so doing, remind ourselves who God is. So we start and end with worship. 
But for this series, I don't plan to spend a lot of time on kind of this worship aspect of Jesus's prayer outline. But please don't think that that's not because it's not important. It is. The two aspects we really want to lean in on and look at in this series are both in this first outline of prayer. One is the request part. Give us this day our daily prayer, our daily bread. Books have been written on the topic of what it means to pray for your daily bread and the difference between needs and wants and what daily means and whether or not we even have an issue where we need daily bread today. What I really want to pay attention to is the fact that Jesus told us to ask for things, to ask for the things we need. Tell God how awesome he is and then ask him for stuff. Ask him for what he needs. This is the first kind of prayer we're going to kind of cover. When we ask God for the things we need. The second follows it. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Again, this is super short and trite in this form, but anyone who's ever had to deal with the issue of forgiveness knows that it's not something you can just rattle off in a prayer. Forgiveness takes processing. It takes time. The forgiveness that we seek from God takes time. It takes time to look at our sins and and how they might offend God and how they might break His heart and how His his love uh, on the cross was precipitated by our sins. That takes time to process and, and confess our sin. We believe that our sin is completely covered by the blood of Jesus and and the incredible act of sacrifice, but we still process that. We still confess our sins. We still still examine our lives and, and confess and repent in prayer. This is something that takes processing. And then when it gets to us forgiving what other people have done to us, forgiving the wounds that we carry, we have to process that. It's not something you can just go, ah, I forgive. I forgive them. I forgive them. No, we process that pain. And the order here is crazy important. Forgive us as we forgive. Because only when we sit there in the presence of God and we, we lay out our sins and we confess and we experience His amazing, incredible grace in the face of our failures do we turn and, 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 and process the wounds someone else has given us. Because they look completely different after we've stared at the cross for a while, after we've looked at the, the impact of our sin, the, 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 the damage that our sin has done, then we turn to someone else and, and process how we might forgive. But forgiveness takes time and it takes processing. And we do that in prayer. Again, anyone who's ever had to go through this process knows that it takes work. We process through this. We work through it with God. This is such an important part of prayer, and I, I think it represents a discipline that the church has only fairly recently caught up with. For, for years and years and years, psychology was, was kind of unpacking and, and figuring out how important it was for people to kind of process through these things. And for a long time, the church kind of stood against it and, and just said, forgiveness is a discipline. It's something you do. And, and we just expected God to, to kind of do the work. But... Only in the past couple decades has the church really caught up in in Christian counseling with how important it is to process our lives with God. But Jesus outlines that right in his prayer. We read it quick, but that, that process of God forgive us as we forgive those who have 
trespassed against us. There's a lot there. So right here in the Lord's Prayer, we have both types of prayer that we're going to dig into and treat with in this series. Requests and processing. And Jesus models both of them in the Gospels. Now, obviously, we could spend weeks breaking down the ins and outs of the Lord's Prayer. There have been thousands of books written and sermons preached, and, and the content is everywhere. You can get it anywhere. But what I really want to do um, with it today is look at how weird of an answer this is to, Jesus, to the disciples' original question. I mean, imagine if you came up to me and said, uh, Chris, teach me how to pray. And my answer was, okay, cool, say this. And I told you what to say. Doesn't that seem like it would be a weird answer to the concept of teach us how to pray? If I said, awesome, when you pray, say this. By today's standards, it seems weird, but that's exactly what Jesus does here. So the first thing I want to establish is, as we dive into this series is that prayer can and should be taught. We have this tendency to think that information is taught but behaviors like prayer, we just, we just do. We just figure out. Jesus doesn't even hint that that's true. In Luke, the, the second the disciples ask him to teach him how to pray, he, he starts to teach him, okay, say this. Do this. Do it like this. In Matthew, he just puts it in a sermon. He just puts it in a sermon, teaches it. When you pray, pray like this. Prayer can and should be taught. The second thing I really want to talk about today is what we as disciples of Jesus are supposed to do with this teaching in Matthew 6 and and Luke 11, I think. Ironically, this has kind of divided the church uh, denominationally for centuries as some groups prefer to pray Jesus's words exactly like he said them in kind of a form structured prayer. And others don't even consider it really prayer unless it's comes from the heart in the moment and is spontaneous. And so we basically have this kind of tension between structured prayer and spontaneous prayer. And what Jesus does, like, was he handing us a structured prayer? Was he handing us kind of an outline for spontaneous prayer? In my life, those two tensions are, those two modes of prayer are kind of ironic because I was raised Catholic and I learned liturgical prayers. I prayed them fairly regularly, and I understood almost none of them. They were just words that kind of washed over me. I didn't really get it. So when I left the Catholic Church, the next church I kind of settled into and became part of was uh, an old-school Pentecostal church that Esther grew up in. And we at times went to three- and four-hour prayer meetings where people would just pray spontaneously whatever was on their heart or whatever the Holy Spirit was laying on their heart for hours And compared to the structured prayers that I grew up with, this was like a breath of fresh air. The prayers had meaning and feeling and they were pouring out of people. Well, come to find out, praying spontaneously several times a day for every day for years, believe it or not, you run out of things to talk about. You run out of things to say. So my prayer life started to dry up and and I struggled to come up with new stuff to say. I felt like I was saying the same things over and over again. My prayer life kind of felt dead and contrived and repetitive. And then about 13 years ago, David Crowder released an album, and on one of his songs, it wasn't even a, one of his popular songs, but one of his songs, he modeled it after the prayer of St. Francis. 
It wasn't even, you know, a big song, but Esther heard it on the album and and she was so drawn to it. She looked up the lyrics and and that letter to the prayer of St. Francis. And so her and I read it together and we were both just brought to tears by these gorgeous words. And so we immediately began to incorporate the prayer of St. Francis into our prayer lives. It reads like this. Would you read it with me? Because I'm probably going to get choked up. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And this was like a breath of fresh air. No longer did I have to come up with something to say all the time. Here are these beautiful words that are so perfectly sum up what I want to say to God every morning. What I, what I want to ask God to do with my life as I, as I go out into the day. And Christians have been praying them for 800 years. And it just started a fire in my prayer life. I started praying the Lord's Prayer again. And, and it was like I was a kid again. Only this time, the words felt like they were pouring out of my own soul. I felt in love. I fell in love with the prayer of contrition that we pray during the prayers of the people every week and, and many other structured prayers. And I learned that this was nothing new to the people of God. Jews dating back to Moses have prayed the same prayer. It anchors every single morning and evening prayer service in the Jewish faith. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elochenu Ada, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They open every prayer with it. 3,500 years praying the same words. And every time they pray these words, they feel connected to something bigger than themselves. They're tapping into 3,500 years of narrative. So I know there's a lot of people that grew up praying liturgical prayers and and then they left that and and... And they, liturgical prayers can kind of feel like uh, this dead, dry, you know, part of their past. Other people are completely unfamiliar with them. And when they hear people kind of mumbling prayers all together, it sounds weird and cultish. And I get that too. I sit in this weird place where I've absolutely fallen in love at one time or another in my life with both kinds of prayer. So what I want to ask is, is as we dive into this master class on prayer, is keep an open mind. Because here's the deal. If you're a prayer warrior, if, if you have this discipline on prayer absolutely locked in and you don't really need any help, I want you to do two things. Um, first, pray for me because send some of that good stuff my way. Um, second, just settle in for a few weeks and see if maybe you can pick up a few nuggets to add to your arsenal but if you struggle with prayer, if you're either new to prayer or 
you struggle with consistency or you just feel clumsy when you pray, do me a favor and, and follow along in this series and just practice. Just try it and see what happens. If you want to play an instrument well and you want to be really uh, creative and expressive and genuine with your craft, with your music, you know where you start? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> Until you can play it smoothly. And then you move on to something a little more complex, something a little more complex. Over and over and over again, you start with the basics. And you grow and you get better and, and the discipline becomes a part of you. So if you're listening and you feel like you need this master class, if, you, if you're authentic and real enough to go, I, my prayer life is not great. I, I need to get better. Then I'm begging you, give this a shot. Over the next couple months, try. Try. Let's, as a church, let's try and pray. Let's play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star over and over again as we learn to grow. So how do we respond to this? What I hope to do in this series is give some type of homework every week um, that we can incorporate into our prayer lives as a church together. It may seem silly and immature and ritualistic at times to you, but give it a shot and see what happens. This week, um, what I'd love to do is institute the daily offices. Anybody familiar with the daily offices? Nobody in the room. Awesome. This will be great then. Um, this is basically an alarm clock is really all this. Anybody ever been on a, on a college campus and the bell goes off every hour? You know, boom, 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 you know, that thing. That started as the daily offices. Used to be when you would go uh, to a, a seminary or a monastery or, you know, universities, which were seminaries, that was the call to prayer. It wasn't an hourly, like, clock chime. It, it went off when, when it was time for the daily offices, which is, are these scheduled moments of prayer throughout the day. And, and so we all have cell phones now. We have alarm clocks in our pockets, so we have no excuse. And so what, we, what I'd like to do this week is to um, institute an alarm clock, a prayer alarm clock that I would love for all of us to do. This is absolutely biblical. Psalms 119, the psalmist says, I pray to you seven times every day. Daniel was known to pray at least three times a day at the same time every day. So, so uh, predictable that once his enemies got prayer outlined, they knew exactly where to stand and exactly where to wait so that they would find Daniel praying and breaking the new law. The Gospels refer to Jesus praying every morning and evening. It carried into the early church. The early church fathers recommended that all Christians pray three times a day at the exact same time. When, when monastic life started, the, the, the monks and brotherhoods and sisterhoods in the Middle Ages, they each prayed seven times a day. It was, it was at the same time every day. So what I'd love to do, at least during this season, as we dive into this understanding of prayer, is to, to get into the habit, build the habit of saying a short prayer seven times a day, every three hours. So here's what that would look like. When you wake up, or at 6 a.m., if you're one of those ridiculous people that wakes up before 6 a.m., at 6 a.m., or when you wake up, you, you pray a prayer. Then you pray again at 9 a.m., noon, 3, 6, 9, and then at bedtime. Seven times a day. And here's what we're hoping for. 
First, this is going to seem excessive and weird. Your alarm's going to go off at inconvenient times when you could never stop and pray. And that's okay. What we want to do right now is to start to create space. So don't, don't go into it planning to set aside 15 minutes, you know, to pray seven times a day. That will never happen. What I recommend is some kind of structured prayer. Maybe the Lord's Prayer. It takes about 20 seconds, 30 seconds to say to yourself, maybe just the glory be. Glory be to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Maybe something that simple. Or maybe, this is what I've been doing, you know, for the last few weeks, just have a prayer list of people you know that desperately need prayer. Fairly short list. And just pray, God, be with and heal, and then read the list. That's all you got to do. Nothing long. What we're trying right now is to build habits, build rhythms, build into our life the, spray, the, the, the space where we talk to God. So it doesn't have to be long. Don't let it be long. But once you create this space, once you create this rhythm, you find that when you do have something you really need to talk to God about, you've created the space to do that. You have the habits in place to do that and to talk to God. You've already built that into your life. So let's go on this journey together. Set an alarm, 6, 9, noon, 3, 6, 9. And know when your alarm goes off that your church family is praying at the same time, praying with you. Really important that we do it at the same time because then we know that it's kind of fun when you're in a room and you hear alarms buzz kind of all over the room that we're going to pray together. So put that in your phone. And know that we're all praying together. I know this sermon is a little awkward. It always seems like every time I start a new series, the first sermon is weird because I'm talking about what I'm going to talk about. I don't really know how to fix that. But I really believe this is important. If we can become a praying church, if we can become a church that cries out to God together, I think we'll see amazing things happen at Open Table and in our city and beyond. So how I want to close this, and remember, we're starting with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. We're going to go back to the basics and, and, and build from the beginning. What does it look like to build a prayer habit, to build a, a, a rhythm of prayer into our lives where we're consciously bringing God into our everyday? Even if it's just to hear the alarm go off and go, amen, just something to bring God into that moment seven times a day. You're recognizing the presence of God. That alone can be a game changer. And Christians have done it for centuries. So how I'd like to close today is I would like to pray both the Lord's Prayer and the Prayer of St. Francis together as a church. If you're at home, pray out loud with us, please. After we pray, we're going to take communion together. Um, We have found... uh, coronavirus safe way to do communion. So if you're in the room, we have these little individually packaged things. The top layer you peel off, there'll be a little wafer under there. The second layer is the juice. Somebody's making a billion dollars on the coronavirus selling communion stuff. But anyway, it's safe. If you're at home, if you have elements, um, feel free to join us, whatever you're comfortable with. We're going to worship together and sing one last song. I've been missing communion, so even though it's weird, I'm, I'm excited to get to do communion together again. But I want to pray together. Um, 
So if you're in the room, would you stand with me as we, as we close in prayer? And if you're at home, please pray out loud with us. This is how we pray. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this table that we gather around even as we are scattered, we know that your table is before us. And so God, I pray that you would be with us, meet us here. Teach us how to talk to you. We stand here like your disciples going, teach us to pray. We know we need to pray and, and yet somehow it's, it's hard to do. And so as we dive into this series, would you meet us and, and teach us? Would you, like you did for your disciples, walk through this with us? We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you come?